0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Brinker. I'm here with Alan Gooden. Hello. And today we have a bonus episode for you, an extra episode this week because we wanted to share... Because you're worth it. Because you're you're worth it. Because it's October and we wanted to share with you some spooky haunted house stories.
1: I mean... We can't do the Haunted House episode without doing Haunted House stories.
0: Exactly. I will say these are not Haunted House attraction or Haunted House ride related stories, but they are proper Haunted House stories. And it's just such a perfect theme for this October as we're gearing up for Halloween, so we had to do it.
1: Well, now now I'm confused. So this is not like Haunted Houses gone awry stories?
0: No, it's not like, oh, you you went into the Haunted Mansion and it was actually haunted. It's like people who it's like st- classic stories about
1: hauntings in houses correct i see so this, not
0: a one-to-one but it's halloween you know so we wanted to give you extra content
1: so this is more of a tangential correct episode yeah okay
0: it's like the theme of haunted houses i,
1: I feel like we need to make this very clear because we just probably pissed off a lot of people
0: <laughs> we're so sorry if we pissed you off
1: I think when we eventually get to hauntings in houses episode, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to do a haunted house attractions library episode. Right, just to really confuse people. Yes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Before we get into the stories, and we do have three for you, I have a quick announcement or two to share with the group. So the first thing is that the eighth issue of Lunatics Magazine comes out this month. So if you're not aware, Lunatics Magazine is a collaborative art magazine that we put out sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year pending. And it's a collaboration of all kinds of artists and contributors. This theme is rituals, which we thought worked really well with October and the thinning of the veil, if you will. So it's, it's very thin. It's like half spell book in a way and like half haunted and creepy stories. So it's like the, the contributors made really cool interpretations of the theme and we're really excited. It also, we've gotten into this new, place with the magazine where everyone has like a totally different art style. And it's a collaboration with Personal Space Press. So check out Personal Space Press. They also do tarot decks and all kinds of cool things. But we're super excited about this. There are copies available on Etsy. So if you go to lunaticsproject.com, follow the link for magazines, and you can get physical copies or digital copies if you're more of a digital person.
1: I just like that every issue is like completely standalone. It's like its own little book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's back issues on Etsy. There's like a few that we haven't sold out of yet. So you can check those out too. And yeah, it's a cool way to learn about artists and, and be exposed to work and things that you might not normally be. So I
1: feel I feel bad. I, I didn't get to contribute too much to this one.
0: You have some photographs in there. Do I? Yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> you, you really just like dug through the stuff then because normally we do like a full photo shoot leading yeah. up to these. And we we didn't do that. We were too busy doing other stuff.
0: We were busy. And yeah, we've also been a little hesitant still with COVID safety and all of that. But I hope on the next one, we'll be able to do like a full-fledged shoot. So speaking of literary collaborative art magazines, I also want to tell you guys about One to a Thousand. I have actually been really honored to have my work featured in some of their past issues. It's a literary art magazine, very similar to Lunatic's the original intention actually of one to a thousand was to be this art like collaborative community for artists. So on Instagram and their website, there's all kinds of prompts, different idea sparks. They share books. They're reading things like that. It's like a creative community online. That's cool. Yeah. And their, their magazines are really thick. They're filled with really strong contributors, really awesome pieces around themes. Again, very similar to lunatics and it's been a big honor to be part of it in the past. So I'm really excited because they have their fourth issue is coming out on October 29th. And this is the first time that it's going to be print as well as digital.
1: This is only their fourth issue.
0: It's their fourth issue. And historically they've all been digital. So this is a big one.
1: (laughs) That's great. It's just, it's so polished.
0: It's very, it's very polished. I'm really surprised to hear that this
1: is only their fourth issue.
0: Yeah. They're also prolific artists outside of this. So You you could check out individually their work. It's Nadia Rousa and JL Shabbat. Cool. And this theme is from beneath. So it's kind of like spooky, sci-fi, things like that really makes a lot of sense for October for Halloween. So I just wanted to mention them because I'm a really big fan of all of the work that they do. We've collaborated in the past. We're going to collaborate in the future. So they're definitely part of our artist community. And I wanted to make sure you guys were aware if you like Lunatics Magazine, you would definitely like one to a thousand. Cool. I think those are my big announcements for the day.
1: Housekeeping complete.
0: I'll, I will just mention. oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> please check out our YouTube channel. I've been doing a ton of really cool haunted videos, historic videos of cemeteries, of buildings that have histories of being haunted back hundreds of years. So I've been having a lot of fun with that, and I just want to make sure you guys know that that exists.
1: And and someday we're actually going to make short films again.
0: Yeah, we're in pre-production now for a few things. We so, are. Yeah oh I, I, yeah
1: that's exciting
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you into it soon
1: yeah let's uh, let's you know what why don't you and i sidebar after this <laughs>
0: there you go and oh yeah we changed our name on youtube officially to the lunatics project so you can find us there we were
1: filming this, this is how i find out about things what during the episode i've already
0: said this on the podcast
1: Oh my goodness. so clearly
0: you're not paying that much attention
1: clearly not
0: okay anyway i think i think that's plenty of housekeeping i think it's time for the stories
1: yes please
0: okay we are going to kick things off with
1: scooby-doo fan fiction oh my
0: goodness i wish my favorite now we're gonna kick things off with
1: sexy scooby-doo fan fiction (laughs) no scooby-doo (laughs) literatica
0: we're going to kick things off with a story that our friend over at the photo podcast john cook both wrote and reads and performs for us today roll the tape
1: all right.
2: Red, written and performed by John Seacorp. He sat at the top of the stairs leading down to the shadowed entryway. Left the modest kitchen. Right the parlor, a small parlor but comfortable. It had been once. Now it was too cold. Always too cold. He supposed he could make a fire, but could never quite manage the motivation. Instead, he sat, often wrapped, in his own small, lonely self, sometimes at the top of the stairs and sometimes at the bottom. Maybe he'd go to the kitchen for a morsel. He felt hungry, or at least he felt empty. He thought there was a difference, but could scarcely bring clear thoughts to mind— Instead, he simply remained there at the upper end of the well-worn staircase, dull, cold, and empty. His eyes, unfocused as they were, cast about but never lit upon the details of the small abode. There was light, but not too much light. He didn't bother to light candles anymore, wasn't certain where they might be. Instead, he settled for the drab, half-light that seemed eternal in the old cabin in the woods— Maybe he'd go for a walk. He distantly considered the idea, but it slipped through his mind like ash through the fingers and was gone before it had scarcely formed. From where he sat, looking down the stairwell, he could see the front door, oaken and old. It was closed against the cold, windy night. He peered from his perch there in the loft, trying to see through the small, rectangular transom. Through the thick, hand-poured glass he could perceive little, a swirling, grey-green melange of colour. The trees outside must have been whipped by the onset of a storm for all that the colours blended and danced, and yet he wasn't certain he could hear any wind. He knew, somehow, that there was wind. He knew that there was a storm coming, but he couldn't remember how he knew In a brief moment of clarity, he was aware of himself enough to realize that there might be something he was missing. But then it passed, and he resumed his watch at the stairwell, rocking gently forward and back, forward and back. He was seated as such when there was a quiet rattle at the front door—quiet at first, but then louder. Someone or something played at the latch. His heart, which had been lazing against his ribcage, jerked at the sound, immediately tilting into a racing rhythm. Who or whatever worked there out of his sight seemed heedless of the fact that this was his home? Who would be so fearlessly attempting to enter? He came up then, almost standing, and bellowed a wordless noise that he hoped would discourage the interloper. It seemed to make no difference, for even as he stooped there he heard the latch lift, even the creak as the door should have opened, but the old weathered door stood motionless. And yet, something, something he almost failed to perceive, was there, little more than a shimmering blush of red before the door. Formless it was, but there none the less. He felt the temperature around him rise as he watched the crimson blur. Its imprecise edges wavered and changed. He stayed as still as he could manage, but he had the unsettling sensation that this intrusive red invader could see him, or at the very least knew that he was there, somewhere. He sat still as the dead, watching and waiting, He fought down panic, hoped the red would go. Just go and leave him in peace. Without a sound, the red diminished. No. Did it turn? It became slimmer and moved out of sight toward his kitchen. From his place on the stairs he listened, for it was all he could think to do. Beyond his vision there were hollow footfalls, but the red had had no feet, There was a faint whisper of singing from what he imagined was the red's non-existent throat. He felt he could even recognize the tune for a moment, but the name stayed at the edge of his memory. Abruptly, the shimmering red being came into view at the foot of the stairwell. He felt anew the surge of warmth from the terrible thing as it appeared. All he could think to do was cry out again, this time with added stomps of the feet in hopes of frightening the red away. It did not work. The red only stopped there. Had it heard? Had he frightened it at all? Indeed, it stopped, but it wasn't motionless. He had given it pause, but his outburst had not had the effect he had hoped. The air around him felt hot. Only for a moment he considered how long it had been since he had felt real heat. But the red, shimmering, specter's ominous presence forced everything from his mind— The red thing moved. It lifted from its place and slowly ascended the staircase, stopping there a mere two paces away. It had no face, but it was looking right at him. The red thing stilled, its edges sharpened. The vague shape momentarily coalescing into something eerily manlike. It leaned in, scoured, and scrutinized him. He was frozen in fear as the Red Thing reached out with one of its spindly, quavering arms. Cornered as he was, his normally docile demeanor was pulled to the brink, and he felt trapped, assaulted. His fear boiled and changed, adding fuel to his anger, and in that moment he felt the Red Thing's warm aura intensify. The heat bathed him and emboldened him even as he felt the Red Thing falter. He did not think, but blindly rushed, headlong into his oppressor. There was nothing solid there with which to clash, and yet, as he made contact, he felt his body pass through the space that the red occupied. It dragged through him like electric, the misty red thing, and in a flash that seemed like lightning with no thunder, he was seated once more at the top of the staircase, looking down at the red thing, flattened against the floorboards in front of the old door. The red faded slowly, and with it the warmth. In its absence cold returned. In moments the warmth was a distant memory, a sensation long forgotten, an ephemeral dream. He sat at the top of the stairs, leading down into the shadowed entryway, left the modest kitchen, right the parlor. A small parlor, but comfortable. It had been once. Now it was too cold. Always too cold. He supposed he could make a fire, but could never quite manage the motivation.
0: So I have sort of a controversial, potentially, opinion of this story. Not opinion, sorry. Like, like interpretation
1: of it. Buckle up, folks.
0: (laughs) I think potentially this could be about depression because the idea of this red sort of figure that's like taunting and haunting him. But the thing with with the warmth that's associated with it and when it goes away, he's cold. He has no motivation to start a fire. He has no motivation to eat. I'm wondering if it's about, you know, if it's about something deeper.
1: Hmm. I like the idea of depression being, some supernatural force that just enters, you know, your home. There's something cool about that. It seems very, like, uh, Japanese folklore, mm. sp- you know, spirits of the home. Got to do all these normal rituals that, you know, cleanse the home of bad spirits. But these are also the same things that, like, would help you lead, a, like, a better mental health lifestyle simultaneously. Right. I feel like there's a lot of overlap there.
0: I Yeah, and I feel like he does something interesting where he sort of makes... The what I'm I don't know this is my interpretation but like the happiness, the paranormal thing. Mm-hmm. So like the lack of of this warmth and this energy and this electricity, is like this cold emptiness that he's with. Like, sure. but but it's almost like the the joy is this paranormal thing.
1: I like that a lot. I like your interpretation.
0: So I don't know, but everyone go listen to the Fido podcast and, and listen to more of John's work and listen to him read the classic works of others as well.
1: I just have to say that I he has such a unique writing style that I'm absolutely in love with.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. He's shared a few of his flash fiction pieces with us before. In flash fiction? Flash fiction. And uh, yeah, I agree. I, I really enjoy his original pieces.
1: All right. Who's up next?
0: So now I have an original piece to share from me. <laughs> and it's actually a part oh, of what? Can
1: I guess? Yeah. The man with an X.
0: I don't think you've heard this before. No, not no the I've man heard that X. one. <laughs> this is a different one. It, it, I wrote it specifically for my collection of horror stories called horror stories, which came out last year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, th- um, I think
1: naming that book was your crowning achievement.
0: <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, this is part of that. But beyond that, it has not been on the podcast. It's actually been on Bob Shore Story Hour, yes. but it's not been on Lunatic's Radio Hour. Something read by Abby. Brinker. Lily was afraid of the dark. She buried her head further under the comforter. It was harder to breathe under the layers of fabric, but she had no other choice. It was the only place she was safe. Danger lurked outside of the blankets. There were shadows and sounds and the mystery of the unknown. She swore she had heard slow, heavy footsteps coming down the hallway towards her bedroom. Creak, creak, creak. She wanted to turn on the light on her nightstand, but her mom had told her that she was too old for this. Well, she wished she could outgrow it too, but she didn't think there was anything to outgrow. She thought it was the house that was the problem, not her. Ever since they had moved to this house, there had been something. Something that filled the night with terror. Something that waited for the sun to go down and then set off alarm bells in her head. Something that watched her while she slept and taunted her while she lay awake. Creak, creak, creak. Something was approaching. She swore it was real. There was no way it could be in her head. She could hear it. 1 a.m. She didn't know if her mom was still awake. She didn't know if it was safe to turn on the light. Creak. Her mom had read her a book when she was little. The book was scary. She had been afraid to go to sleep alone that night. Her mom said that nothing could hurt her in the light. Her mom had said it. Creak. She pushed the blankets off of her and rolled towards the nightstand. Click. Her fingers switched on the lamp. A warm orange glow filled the room. It illuminated her reading chair, her bookshelf her little round rug, and the closet door that needed to be closed. Lily could not sleep at night if the door was open or ajar. It was too scary. Tonight it was closed, thank God. She took a deep breath and tried to listen for the noises in the hallway. Silence. The nightlight had scared away the monster. She wanted to keep the light on, but she knew it was too risky. It was a work night. Her mom would be extra grumpy if she saw it on. She took one final survey of the room and leaned over to turn it off. Darkness and shadow seeped back into the small space. Lily was tired. She could feel her eyes getting heavy. When you're scared, just think about something happy, her mom had said. She squeezed her eyes shut and pretended that she was eating mint chocolate chip ice cream. It was her favorite. She imagined the cold, green, frozen tree in as much detail as she could. She thought about the little chocolate flecks in the cone. It would definitely be a sugar cone. No, a waffle cone, with whipped cream and a bright red cherry. Creak. Lily's eyes flew open. Her pulse quickened. She drew the thick quilt up so only her eyes were peeking out. Creak. She pulled the bedding over her head and held her breath. And then a new noise, a slow movement, and a pop. Her bedroom door. She knew it. Whatever it was, it was inside of her bedroom. She should have kept the light on to keep it away, but now it was too late and it was inside of her room. The floorboards groaned with the weight of the approaching thing. The noises stopped near the foot of her bed. Pressure. She felt pressure near her ankle, as if someone had placed a hand down on the mattress, and then another. She held her breath. Don't make a sound. Don't make a sound. Don't make a sound. Then a heavier pressure, like a knee or foot. Something was crawling up her twin bed towards her. It was heavy and full, but it wasn't touching her. It was placing its hands and feet to the left and the right of her. She could feel the presence over her, waiting for her. Murderer or ghost? Murderer or ghost? Murderer or ghost? She couldn't take it anymore. Her lungs felt like they were going to burst. They ached with the effort of holding her breath. She slowly exhaled, breathing out as silently as she could. Lily tried to inhale, but it felt like her air supply was running out. There was no air under the blankets. She tried to fill her lungs, but nothing came. She couldn't stand it for another second. She inched her mouth towards the edge of the quilt, just enough to breathe in fresh air, but there was none. The whole room was devoid of air, like she was in a vacuum. She needed to turn on the light. She slammed the quilt off of her head. For a second, she forgot about losing her breath. Crouched over her was a shadow, a dense, opaque shadow. It had been waiting for her. The entity slowly leaned in closer and closer to Lily. This was no person— and it didn't look like the ghosts from movies or books. This was something else entirely. She opened her mouth to scream, but nothing came out. There was no sound either in the vacuum. The dark shape over her was shifting. It was glitching, as if there was a bad connection. As it got closer, she noticed vague features, as if it had been a human once before. A crooked mouth, sharp nose and eyes. Eyes that faintly glowed green, but it looked like the bulbs were burning out behind them. She could feel her energy start to be sucked up into the vacuum. Her vision of mint ice cream was ripped from her mind. It was pulling on the memories of her mom. She wanted to shout no, but even if she could, it wouldn't slow down the figure that loomed above her. The light. She needed to turn on the light. Lily didn't know how it would react when she rolled to her left, but she had to try. It was her only hope. She leaned on her elbows and lunged for the switch. Her small fingers fumbled and shook with terror. Her lungs were screaming, and her mind was racing. It took all the effort to focus on the task. Don't let it distract you, she thought. Click. A warm orange light flooded the room once again. Cold air rushed into her tight lungs. She let out a huge sigh as she leaned back onto her fluffy pink and white polka-dotted pillow. She kept the light on for the rest of the night. Her mother shook her head and laughed. They were sitting at the breakfast table, sharing a big mixing bowl filled with sugary cereal. Easy cleanup, her mom had said as she poured the milk into the metal bowl. Lily smiled and grabbed two spoons. After they had crunched and slurped half of the feast, Lily had told her mom about the something that had been in her room last night. You have the wildest dreams, Lily, her mom grinned at her. No, mom, I swear this happened. Lily and her mom had had similar conversations before. Lily, we've been through this. We've been through this so many times. Her mom put down the spoon. There is no such thing as ghosts. A murderer is not living in your closet, and you are too old for this. Lily hated when her mom didn't believe her. Mom, I'm not lying. I know you aren't lying, but could it be possible that it was a dream? Lily thought about this for a moment. I guess so, she confessed. Okay, then what do you think is more likely? That a supernatural monster broke into our house and slowly decided to visit your room without ever stepping foot in mine? That this ghost climbed onto your bed and sucked away the air in your room and was easily scared off by the nightlight? Lily started to protest, but her mom continued, or that you have a wonderfully active mind and dreamt up something scary. Lily didn't want to admit that her mom could be right. She didn't want to give in, but she knew there was no way around it. Fine, mom, maybe it was a dream. She dropped her spoon into the metal mixing bowl and started to dramatically leave the kitchen. Lily wanted her mom to feel bad for not believing her. Hey, Lily, her mom called. Why don't we go get some mint chip ice cream this afternoon? It worked. Lily knew that her mom was trying to cheer her up with a treat, but she couldn't figure out why she'd picked a made-up ice cream flavor. It sounded like toothpaste and chocolate.
1: Yuck. Do you get it? I think so. But I want you to explain it.
0: (laughs) So... The monster was real, and it sucked out her memory of her favorite ice cream because that was what she was trying to use to to not be scared.
1: That's so devious.
0: So it was like a vacuum entity that was sucking the air, but also the memories. And it's, so the it, next day when her mom was like, you want your favorite ice cream? She was like, what the fuck are you talking about, mom? WTF, mom. <laughs> yeah.
1: This scene. This is a very Abby Branker story. I like it a lot.
0: <laughs> Why do you say that?
1: Because it's all about... Being at home, feeling very scared and haunted, <laughs> uh-huh. and nobody believing you, and everyone saying "shut the fuck up."
0: <laughs> my my parents are probably painting them in, in an un, unfair light. They were they were not mean to me ever, but
1: any uh, any similarities with uh, real people is purely coincidental.
0: Yeah, I did have an active imagination, and I do feel sorry for them. As this is adult.
1: a complete work of fiction. <laughs> I love your creaking sounds.
0: Creak.
1: <laughs> you really should start selling these as sound you know, effects as sound effects yeah that's, it's <laughs> very good it honestly it feels like you know you got ripped off by telltale heart yeah exactly you, you know
0: yeah you did postal po from me
1: you did it better
0: that's i did it first yeah so we have one more story to share with you okay this is a doozy well it's not a doozy but i would say this it's long and i, I would classify this as a classic literature haunted house story
1: we're putting a long story in a bonus episode yeah we just keep giving and giving
0: (laughs) well this actually is provided to us does
1: this one cost extra to the listeners
0: no free free of charge uh but this one was actually provided to us by bob dawn of bob short story hour bob
1: dawn of bob short story and the
0: hidden Oaks podcast So this story actually originally premiered on Bob Short Story Hours, episode 26. So you should go listen to it there again if you want to listen to it. But Bob graciously provided it for us today because it is a very classic iteration of a haunted house story. All righty. This was actually, so I'll give you a sentence of, just a sentence of background. So this story is from 1909. It was originally published in a collection of short stories called Sailor's Knots. Written by W.W. Jacobs, over 100 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So again, a classic piece, and Bob does accents in it. So,
1: I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) Roll the tape. Toll House.
2: Written by W.W. Jacobs. Performed by Bob Dawn.
3: It's all nonsense, said Jack Barnes. Of course, people have died in the house. People die in every house. As for the noises, wind in the chimney and rats in the wainscot are very convincing to a nervous man. Give me another cup of tea, Meagle. Lester and White are first, said Meagle, who was presiding at the tea table of the Three Feathers Inn. You've had two. Lester and White finished their cups with irritating slowness, pausing between sips to sniff the aroma and to discover the sex and dates of arrival of the strangers, which floated in some numbers in the beverage. Mr. Meagle served them to the brim, and then, turning to the grimly expectant Mr. Barnes, blandly requested him to ring for hot water. "'We'll try and keep your nerves in their present healthy condition,' he remarked. "'For my part I have a sort of half-and-half belief in the supernatural.' "'All sensible people have,' said Lester. "'An aunt of mine saw a ghost once.' White nodded. I had an uncle that saw one, he said. It is always somebody else that sees them, said Barnes. Well, there is a house, said Meagle, a large house at an absurdly low rent, and nobody will take it. It has taken toll of at least one life of every family that has lived there, however short the time. And since it has stood empty, caretaker after caretaker has died there. The lost caretaker died fifteen years ago. "'Exactly,' said Barnes. "'Long enough ago for legends to accumulate.' "'I'll bet you, a Sovereign, you won't spend a night there alone for all your talk,' said White suddenly. "'And I,' said Lester. "'No,' said Barnes slowly. "'I don't believe in ghosts, nor in any supernatural things whatever. "'All the same, I admit that I should not care to pass a night there alone.' "'But why not?' inquired White. "'Wind in the chimney?' "'said Meagle with a grin. "'Rats in the wainscoat,' chimed in Lester. "'As you like,' said Barnes, colouring. "'Suppose we all go,' said Meagle. "'Start after supper and get there about eleven. "'We have been walking for ten days now without an adventure, "'except Barnes's discovery that ditch-water smells longest. "'It will be a novelty, at any rate, "'and if we break the spell by all surviving, "'the great flow now to come down handsome.' Let's see what the landlord has to say about it first, said Lester. There is no fun in passing a night at an ordinary empty house. Let us make sure that it is haunted. He rang the bell, and sending for the landlord appealed to him, in the name of our common humanity, not to let them waste a night watching in a house which specters and hobgoblins had no part. The reply was more than reassuring and the landlord, after describing with considerable art the exact appearance of a head, which had been seen hanging out of a window in the moonlight, wound up with a polite but urgent request that they would settle his bill before they went. "'It's all very well for you young gentlemen to have your fun,' he said indulgently. "'But supposing as how you're all found dead in the morning, what about me?' "'I ain't called the tow-house for nothing, you know.' "'Who died there last?' inquired Barnes, with an air of polite derision. "'A tramp!' was the reply. He went there for the sake of half a crown, and they found him the next morning, hanging from the balusters, dead. Suicide, said Barnes. Unsound mind. The landlord nodded. That's what the jury brought it in, he said slowly. But his mind was sound enough when he went in there. I'd known him off and on for years. I'm a poor man, but I wouldn't spend the night in that house for a hundred pounds. He repeated this remark as they started on their expedition a few hours later. They left as the inn was closing for the night. Bolts shot noisily behind them, and as the regular customers trudged slowly homewards, they set off at a brisk pace in the direction of the house. Most of the cottages were already in darkness, and lights in others went out as they passed. It seems rather hard that we have got to lose a night's rest in order to convince Barnes of the existence of ghosts, said White. "'It's in a good cause,' said Meagle. "'A most worthy object, and something seems to tell me that we shall succeed. "'You didn't forget the candles, Lester.' "'I've brought two,' was the reply. "'All the old man could spare. "'There was but little moon, and the night was cloudy. "'The road between high hedges was dark, "'and in one place where it ran through a wood so black "'that they twice stumbled in the uneven ground at the side of it. "'Fancy leaving our comfortable beds for this?' So "'White said again. "'Let me see. "'This desirable residential sepulcher lies to the right, doesn't it?' "'Farther on,' said Meagle. "'They walked on for some time in silence, "'broken only by White's tribute to the softness, the cleanliness, "'and the comfort of the bed which was receding farther and farther into the distance. "'Under Meagle's guidance they turned off at last to the right, "'and after a walk of a quarter of a mile, "'saw the gates of a house before them. "'The lodge was almost hidden by overgrown shrubs, "'and the drive was choked with rank growths. "'Meagle leading, they pushed through it "'until the dark pile of the house loomed above them. "'There is a window at the back where we can get in, "'so the landlord says,' said Lester, "'as they stood before the hall door. "'Window,' said Meagle. "'Nonsense. Let's do the thing properly. "'Where's the knocker?' He felt for it in the darkness and gave a thundering rat-a-tat at the door. Don't play the fool, said Barnes crossly. Ghostly sevens are all asleep, said Meagle gravely. But I'll wake them up before I've done with them. It's scandalous keeping us out here in the dark. He plied the knocker again and the noise volleyed in the emptiness beyond. Then, with a sudden exclamation, he put out his hands and stumbled forward. Why, it was open all the time, he said. "'with an odd catch in his voice. "'Come on.' "'I don't believe it was open,' said Lester, hanging back. "'Somebody is playing us a trick.' "'Nonsense!' said Meagle sharply. "'Give me a candle. "'Thanks. "'Who's got a match?' "'Barnes produced a box and struck one, "'and Meagle, shielding the candle with his hand, "'led the way forward to the foot of the stairs. "'Shut the door, somebody,' he said. "'There's too much draft.' "'It is shut,' said White glancing behind him. Meagle fingered his chin. Who shut it? he inquired, looking from one to the other. Who came in last? I did, said Lester. But I don't remember shutting it. Perhaps I did, though. Meagle, about to speak, thought better of it, and still carefully guarding the flame, began to explore the house with the others close behind. Shadows danced on the walls and lurked in the corners as they proceeded. At the end of the passage they found a second staircase, and ascending it slowly gained the first floor. Careful, said Meagle, as they gained the landing. He held the candle forward and showed them where the balusters had broken away. Then he peered curiously into the void beneath. This is where the tramp hanged himself, I suppose, he said thoughtfully. You've got an unwholesome mind, said White as they walked on. This place is quite creepy enough without your remembering that. Now, let's find a comfortable room and have a little nip of whiskey apiece and a pipe. How will this do? He opened a door at the end of the passage and revealed a small square room. Meagle led the way with the candle, and, first melting a drop or two of tallow, stuck it on the mantelpiece. The others seated themselves on the floor and watched pleasantly as White drew from his pocket a small bottle of whiskey and a tin cup. "Mm, I've forgotten the water, he exclaimed. I'll soon get some, said Meagle. He tugged violently at the bell handle, and the rusty jangling of a bell sounded from a distant kitchen. He rang again. Don't play the fool, said Barnes roughly. Meagle laughed. I only wanted to convince you, he said kindly. There ought to be, at any rate, one ghost in the servants' hall. Barnes held up his hand for silence. Yes, said Meagle with the grin at the other two. Is anybody coming? Suppose we drop this game and go back said Barnes suddenly. I don't believe in spirits, but nerves are outside anybody's command. You may laugh as you like. It really seemed to me that I heard a door open below and steps on the stairs. His voice was drowned in a roar of laughter. He is coming round, said Meagle with a smirk. By the time I have done with him, he will be a confirmed believer. Well, who will go and get some water? Will you, Barnes? No, was the reply. If there is any, it might not be safe to drink after all these years, said Lester. We must do without it. Meagle nodded, and taking a seat on the floor, held out his hand for the cup. Pipes were lit, and the clean, wholesome smell of tobacco filled the room. White produced a pack of cards. Talk and laughter rang through the room and died away reluctantly in distant corridors. Empty rooms always delude me into the belief that I possess a deep voice, said Meagle. Tomorrow, uh... He started up with a smothered exclamation as the light went out suddenly and something struck him on the head. The others sprang to their feet, then Meagle laughed. It's the candle, he exclaimed. I didn't stick it enough. Barnes struck a match and relighting the candle stuck it on the mantelpiece and sitting down took up his cards again. What was I going to say? said Meagle. Oh, I I know. Tomorrow I... Listen, said White, laying his hand on the other's sleeve. Upon my word, I really thought I heard a laugh. Look here, said Barnes. What do you say about going back? I've had enough of this. I keep fancying that I hear things too, sounds of something moving about in the passage outside. I know it's only fancy, but it's making me uncomfortable. You go if you want to, said Meagle. And we'll, And we will play dummy. Or you might ask the tramp to take your hand for you as you go down the stairs. Barnes shivered and exclaimed angrily. He got up. "'walking to the half-closed door and listened. "'Go outside,' said Meagle, "'winking at the other two. "'I'll dare you to go down to the hall door "'and back by yourself.' "'Barnes came back and, bending forward, "'lit his pipe at the candle. "'I am nervous but rational,' he said, "'blowing out a thin cloud of smoke. "'My nerves tell me that there is something "'prowling up and down the long passage outside. "'My reason tells me that it is all nonsense. "'Where are my cards?' He sat down again and, taking up his hand, looked through it carefully and led. "'You'll play, White,' he said after a pause. White made no sign. "'Why, he is asleep,' said Meagle. "'Wake up, old man. Wake up and play.' Lester, who was sitting next to him, took the sleeping man by the arm and shook him gently at first, and then with some roughness. But White, with his back against the wall and his head bowed, made no sign. Meagle bawled in his ear and then turned a puzzled face to the others. "'He sleeps like the dead,' he said, grimacing. "'Well, there are still three of us to keep each other company.' "'Yes,' said Lester, nodding. "'Unless—' "'Good Lord, suppose—' "'He broke off and eyed them trembling. "'Suppose what?' inquired Meagle. "'Nothing,' stammered Lester. Uh, "'Let's wake him. "'Try him again. "'White! "'White!' "'It's no good,' said Meagle, seriously. "'There's something wrong about that sleep.' ''That's what I meant,'' said Lester. ''And if he goes to sleep like that, why shouldn't?'' Meagle sprang to his feet. ''Nonsense,'' he said roughly. ''He's tired out, that's all. Still, let's take him up and clear out. you take his legs and Barnes will lead the way with a candle, yes? Who's that?'' He looked up quickly towards the door. <laughs> ''Thought I heard somebody tap,'' he said with a shameful laugh. ''Now, Lester, up with him. One, two... Lester! Lester!'' He sprang forward too late. Lester, with his face buried in his arms, had rolled over on the floor fast asleep, and his utmost efforts failed to awaken him. He is asleep, he stammered. Asleep! Barnes, who had taken the candle from the mantelpiece, stood peering at the sleepers in silence and dropping tallow all over the floor. We must get out of this, said Meagle. Quick! Barnes hesitated. We can't leave them here, he began. We must! We must! said Meagle in strident tones. If you go to sleep, I shall go. Quick, come! He seized the other by the arm and strove to drag him out to the door. Barnes shook him off, and putting the candle back on the mantelpiece, tried again to arouse the sleepers. It's no good, he said at last, and turning from them watched Meagle. Don't you go to sleep, he said anxiously. Meagle shook his head, and they stood for some time in uneasy silence. May as well shut the door, said Barnes at last. He crossed over and closed it gently, then at a scuffling noise behind him he turned and saw Meagle in a heap on the hearthstone. With a sharp catch in his breath, he stood motionless. Inside the room the candle, fluttering in the draft, showed dimly the grotesque attitudes of the sleepers. Beyond the door there seemed to his overwrought imagination a strange and stealthy unrest. He tried to whistle, but his lips were parched and in a mechanical fashion he stopped and began to pick up the cards which littered the floor. He stopped once or twice and stood with bent head listening. The unrest outside seemed to increase. A loud creaking sounded from the stairs. Who is there? he cried loudly. The creaking ceased. He crossed to the door and, flinging it open, strode out into the corridor. As he walked, his fears left him suddenly. Come on! he cried with a low laugh. All of you! All of you! Show your faces! You infernal ugly faces! Don't skulk! He laughed again and walked on, and the heap in the fireplace put out his head toward his fashion and listened in horror to the retreating footsteps. Not until they had become inaudible in the distance did the listener's features relax. Good Lord, Lester, we've driven him mad, he said in a frightened whisper. We must go after him. There was no reply. Meagle sprung to his feet. Do you hear? he cried. Stop your fooling now, this is serious. White, Lester, do you hear? He bent and surveyed them in angry bewilderment. All right, he said in a trembling voice. You won't frighten me, you know. He turned away and walked with exaggerated carelessness in the direction of the door. He even went outside and peeped through the crack, but the sleepers did not stir. He glanced into the blackness behind and then came hastily into the room again. He stood for a few seconds regarding them. The stillness in the house was horrible. He could not even hear them breathe. With a sudden resolution, he snatched the candle from the mantelpiece and held the flame to White's finger. Then as he reeled back, stupefied, the footsteps again became audible. He stood with the candle in his shaking hand, listening. He heard them ascending the farther staircase, but they stopped suddenly as he went to the door. He walked a little way along the passage, and they went scurrying down the stairs, and then at a jog-trot along the corridor below. He went back to the main staircase, and they ceased again. For a time he hung over the balusters, listening and trying to pierce the blackness below. Then slowly, step by step, he made his way downstairs, and holding the candle above his head, peered about him. Bonds, he called. Where are you? Shaking with fright, he made his way along the passage, and summoning up all his courage, pushed open doors and gazed fearfully into empty rooms. Then, quite suddenly, he heard the footsteps in front of him. He followed slowly for fear of extinguishing the candle, until they led him at last into a vast bare kitchen, with damp walls and a broken floor. In front of him a door leading into an inside room had just closed. He ran towards it and flung it open, and a cold air blew out the candle. He stood aghast. Bonds, he cried again. Don't be afraid. It is I, Meagle. There was no answer. He stood gazing into the darkness, and all the time the idea of something close at hand watching was upon him. Then suddenly, the steps broke out overhead again. He drew back hastily, and passing through the kitchen groped his way along the narrow passages. He could now see better in the darkness, and finding himself at last at the foot of the staircase, began to ascend it noiselessly. He reached the landing just in time to see a figure disappear around the angle of a wall. Still careful to make no noise, he followed the sound of the steps until they led him to the top floor, and he cornered the chase at the end of a short passage. "'Barnes!' he whispered. "'Barnes!' Something stirred in the darkness. A small, circular window at the end of the passage just softened the blackness and revealed the dim outlines of a motionless figure. Meagle, in place of advancing, stood almost as still as a sudden, horrible doubt took possession of him. With his eyes fixed on the shape in front, he fell back slowly, and as it advanced upon him, burst into a terrible cry. Bond, for God's sake, is it you? The echoes of his voice left the air quivering but the figure before him paid no heed. For a moment he tried to brace his courage up to endure its approach. Then, with a smothered cry, he turned and fled. The passages wound like a maze, and he threaded them blindly in a vain search for the stairs. If he could get down and open the hall door... He caught his breath in a sob. The steps had begun again. At a lumbering trot they clattered up and down the bare passages, in and out, up and down, as though in search of him. He stood appalled, and then, as they drew near, entered a small room and stood behind the door as they rushed by. He came out and ran swiftly and noiselessly in the other direction and In a moment, the steps were after him. He found a long corridor and raced along at a top speed. The stairs he knew were at the end, and with the steps close behind, he descended them in blind haste. The steps gained on him, and he shrank to the side to let them pass, still continuing his headlong flight. Then suddenly, he seemed to slip off the earth into space. Lester awoke in the morning to find the sunshine streaming into the room, and White sitting up and regarding with some perplexity a badly blistered finger. Where are the others? inquired Lester. Gone, I suppose, said White. We must have been asleep. Lester arose and, stretching his stiffened limbs, dusted his clothes with his hands and went into the corridor. White followed. At the noise of their approach, a figure which had been lying asleep at the other end sat up and revealed the face of Barnes. "'Why, I've been asleep,' he said in surprise. "'I don't remember coming here. How did I get here?' "'Nice place to come for a nap,' said Lester severely, as he pointed to the gap in the balusters. "'Look there! Another yard, and where would you have been?' He walked carelessly to the edge and looked over. In response to his startled cry, the others drew near, and all three stood gazing at the dead man below.
0: So uh, an ideal October classic literature haunted house story, no?
1: You know what they say, Bob knows how to pick them.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bob, Bob has done a lot of curation work for us that we've benefited from.
1: That's great. I, I really like the story.
0: Yeah, and I liked the accents. It also made it easier for me
1: to keep the characters straight as a copious audiobook listener. Sure. I've found that the the only way to keep large casts easily managed in your head, Sure. Uh, Is when the it was when the narrator gives everyone a distinct voice. Mm. And Bob did a great job of this. Not that the cast was enormous. Right. Uh, But still, you know, you can you always know, you know, where exactly you are in the story, uh, who's speaking and it just it really just helps paint the image for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So again, thank you so much to Bob. Thank you so much for John Cook. It's it's very cool to have original pieces, to have these classic pieces, to have a piece that I wrote. I think we had a good representation today. And again, thanks so much. Listen to the Fado podcast and listen to Bob's Short Story Hour for more like that. John and Bob always do just such a one. They're two of my favorite modern narrators of all time. So we was just thrilled to to be able to I don't know. It's very, it's it's very wholesome to me to have these podcast friendships and to to have their work represented on ours and vice versa. So it, it felt very nice to continue that tradition.
1: Completely agree.
0: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Stay safe as you're gearing up for Halloween this year. Remember to check out the literary magazine from one to a thousand. Remember to check out Lunatics Magazine, and we will be back next week with even somehow creepier content. Really. Mm, guaranteed oh i promise cool (laughs) it's halloween you know yeah
1: sure
0: we'll get creepier and creepier until we peak
1: and then it's all downhill
0: (laughs) and then it'll just get worse and worse and
1: worse yep (laughs) glad we're on the same page bye bye
0: thanks for listening If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club.
1: Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel.
0: You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more.
1: And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there.
0: Our cover art is by Pilar Kep. And musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.